Welcome to Investing by the Books, a podcast by Red Eye. I'm your host, Niklas Sävås, and next to me is my friend, Eddie Palmgren. How are you today? I'm good. It's summer here in Stockholm, and today we have the pleasure of speaking to Gillian Zoe Siegel that we met in Omaha during the Berkshire meeting. Gillian is an author and photographer, and she received a Bachelor of Arts from the University of Michigan and also has a law degree from Cardoso School of Law. Gillian has written two books, New York Characters and Getting There, and Getting There is the book we will discuss today. And it, it has the subtitle, A Book of Mentors, uh, and it's published in 2015. Why have we chosen this title? To me personally, I think mentors can both serve as inspiration and guidance in a specific area of your interest and also in general life. So it's an interesting topic uh, as investors as well. And this book is very well written and it includes many fascinating stories that remind me about all the qualities that qualities that are required and the challenges, of course, on the way to success. And briefly, what is the book about? I would say that it consists of 30 condensed biographies featuring superstars like Michael Bloomberg, Katie Ireland, Hans Zimmer, Marina Abramovich, and uh, not least Warren Buffett. So there's a big variety of different professions here. And Gillian has really done an excellent job taking photos and interviewing each person. And then she has trimmed the transcripts down to an essay of three to four pages that each ends with the the individual's pearls, as uh, she calls them. And those are the most important lessons from each each chapter. So I think it's a very good coffee table book that you can pick up, uh, read one story at a time, or you can read it from cover to cover and learn a lot. But how does the book uh, relate to the Red Eye Quality Rating? One of our heroes, Charlie Munger, reads a lot of uh, biographies. And I think what he says is that learning by your own mistakes can be costly. And it helps a lot if you can learn from others as well. And even though this book is more about how these people became successful, we also get to hear about the failures on the road, which ultimately shaped their careers. And I found that really, really interesting. I believe that the more you read about successful and not so successful people, you will be better in judging managers and owners and thereby set a proper quality rating on the people behind a business, which we do as analysts here at Red Eye. And besides Charlie Munger, do you have any other mentors in life? I mean, Warren Buffett is the other one. I think for <laughs> investing and business, it's, it's them too, definitely. Yeah, we are excited to have the author and photographer of the book Getting There on the podcast. Here comes our conversation with Gillian Zoe Siegel. Hi, Gillian, and welcome to Investing by the Books podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Last time we met was in Omaha. Where are you today? New York City. Nice, in your apartment. In my apartment, yes. Cool. Maybe we can start with, uh, can, can you tell our listeners a, bit, a little bit uh, about yourself? Uh, sure. I went directly from college to law school. And then when I was 24 years old, I had a little midlife crisis where I decided I didn't want to be a lawyer and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I knew that I always loved photography and I started pursuing photography, uh, which led to my first book, which was called New York Characters. And that eventually led to my next book, which is called Getting There. Uh, and that's what we're going to speak about today. Very nice. And we, we met uh, in Omaha, as Eddie said, at uh, Bookworm in the convention center uh, during the Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholders meeting. And yes. I, I need to start. I mean, not everyone is allowed to sell their book during the meeting. <laughs> so can you tell us about the story of how you got in? Well, one of the subjects of my book is Warren Buffett. And I met him uh, when I interviewed him. And I guess I was lucky enough that um, we hit it off and he invited me to come to the meeting and to come to some events. Um, and I've stayed in touch with him over the years. And uh, this is one of the, you know, not so many books that that he has selected to be sold at the meeting. And basically what happens, so I hear, is that he'll pick them once. But um, if you don't sell well, you don't get invited back. So um, when I learned that, <laughs> I basically park myself at the bookworm and make sure that I sell well. Or do my best, do my best to sell well. And how many years have you been going to Omaha? 
Uh, since 2010, so it's been a long time. Wow. Maybe 2011 was my first meeting, but I think I met him in 2010. So many years. Yeah, and we heard you call yourself a Berkshire groupie. Definitely. <laughs> so what would you say is the most important principle or concept that you have learned from Warren and Charlie? I think, um, I think that one of the best things about going to Omaha is meeting the group of people who decides to go to Omaha. And that's a self-selecting group. And it's basically a group of good people, good, like-minded people. We all follow Warren and Charlie, and they have so much amazing wisdom to offer. Um, and I think one of the best pieces of advice that, or, you know, life lessons they've taught me is that the people who you surround yourself with matter. And um, Warren likens it to a solar system and that you get pulled in the direction of the people you hang out with. So that's one of the reasons I love going to Omaha. And that's one of the great lessons that I've learned from, from Warren. And I have to ask, I mean, did that lesson lead you to change your life? I mean, when you really recognize that, oh, this is so important, I need to really think about who I connect with and so on. I think it's, I think so. I mean, I think I've always sort of had a filter with who I hang out with. So I've never really, you know, had that much of a problem. But I think um, it that that just hearing it crystallized like that makes you even more so, uh, more conscious of it. And uh, the book you signed for us is named Getting There and <coughs> includes your interviews and photographs of 30 highly influential and inspiring persons from a variety of professions. I mean, how, how did you come up with the list of people? Um, basically, I wanted to get a diverse group of people um, and they all had to be people who I admired. So there could be a diverse group of highly successful people. So everybody is at the top of their field, but they're from a broad range of fields. Um, and I think that gives you a well-rounded body of advice. And what's really interesting is how many of them, you know, fr from a surfer and an artist to Warren Buffett and Michael Bloomberg, how many of them gave some of the same advice? Yeah, we're surely, I mean, myself and Eddie have discussed, I mean, the main takeaways and so on. And I think you give a great, uh, I mean, uh, introduction to really, I mean, I, I I would summarize this just shortly when I read the introduction. It's like, okay, I, I feel like uh, it's, <coughs> it's a lot about passion and, and to not fear failure. And we will get a lot deeper into into the takeaways, of course. Uh, but first, I want to ask, uh, how did you choose the title, Getting There? Um, well, there was a bunch of different titles that that I thought of. Um, but that one sort of summed it up. Because I think the, the way that I decided to do the book is that throughout my life, I would always look at people and wonder, how did he or she decide on that career path and what what makes this person successful when that person isn't what do, what do these successful people have and what can we learn from them and how did they get there and how can we get there so that's really it's sort of the title sort of summed it up and speaking about success, I was checking the Cambridge Dictionary, what, what really is success? And their first definition is that it's the achieving of the results wanted or hoped for. Mm. Uh, how would you define it? I think that's a great, I think I can't compete with that uh, definition. But I think success is one thing to one person and another thing to another person. And like that definition says, it's a it's a personal thing. So success to me might not be success to you. And that's okay. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's not really that they, they want something or they hope for something. It's just that they do something and then they get somewhere. And maybe that's the title of your book it rings well for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that. 
Yeah, and it's really, as Niklas said, it's a very inspiring collection of individuals and they have really achieved remarkable results and they have become independent to do what they love. And our listeners are mainly people who analyze or and operate businesses and are, they are trying to understand like how can we achieve the best results in whatever, whatever field it is. So to help us improve our pattern recognition, what would you say are some common success factors among these stars you have interviewed? Um, well, I, I, I think there's seven that, that almost all of them had. Um, the first one is understanding their circle of competence. And Warren Buffett explained this in, in his Getting There essay, that it's really essential to understand your strengths and weaknesses. And everybody has them. But what's important is to stick in a field where you are capitalizing on your strengths. Um, and he says, uh, I'm no genius. He, he quotes a friend who says, I'm no genius, but I'm smart in spots and I stay around those spots. Um, and the other thing is they harness their passions. Everybody is passionate about what they do. And it's explained, if you don't really love what you do, maybe you can do okay at it and you can be a success enough, a medium, but you're not going to really, you know, hit it out of the ballpark if you don't, if you don't, um, if your heart isn't in what you're doing. Um, a lot of them are fluid. So they, it's, it's great to have a plan, but if you never deviate from your plan, you might miss out on amazing opportunities. So like Michael Bloomberg only decided to start his company after being fired at a job, you know, his job in Solomon Brothers. Um, anyway, people stumble on times where they think, okay, I've had a, a failure or a loss. Now what? Uh, and I'm going to maybe have to change the plan a little bit. Um, they also create their own opportunities. They're all hustlers. So things don't get handed to anybody. Um, you have to sort of make, make your good luck in the world. Uh, and they also question everything. They don't follow others blindly. They think on their own. Uh, Warren Buffett explains that, that he needs to have that kind of a temperament where it doesn't bother him if he disagree, you know, if other people disagree with him. And he explains that you don't really get great results through a consensus. Yeah, you have to find your own way, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the sixth one is they don't let the fear of failure deter them. That is that is one of the, you know, big, the key things is a lot of people become paralyzed for, you know, taking a risk because of fear of failure. And you just have to know everybody fails. What happens when you fail? You get back up, you start again. And um, one of the subjects, Kathy Ireland, gives a great quote where she says, um, if you, if you never fail, it means you're not trying hard enough. So do your job, fail sometimes, it means you're doing what you're supposed to do. And the last one is sort of linked to that is that they're resilient. Um, they just, you know, keep going. Warren Buffett has made bad investments and he just doesn't let it bother him and he moves on. And the good thing in, in life is that there's not really a list of all the things you did wrong. Uh, people look at your successes. So same with even Warren Buffett. There's a list, you know, somebody, he could make a list of companies he knew of and decided not to invest in, and it was a mistake. But instead, we just look at all of the, the successes he's had. Um, and it's easy to think about that when it's someone else, but harder when you're the one who, who's made the mistake. But you've got to just move on. I think uh, just a short comment that I, I think about, I mean, we interview a lot of investors and so on. And I think many of the successful investors often say that uh, they have begun, they began their career with, with a huge mistake and they learned their lesson and, and they improved from that. And, and often they say that I'm so happy that, that I made that uh, mistake early on. Absolutely. Because it, it can change the course of your 
trajectory. Yeah, and I mean, you have to take risk, otherwise you will never get wealthier. And what you have to avoid is these fatal outcomes where you, Mm -hmm. like permanent capitalist destruction, they often say. And Jim Koch is sharing some interesting life lessons from uh, in the book about mountaineering, what he has learned Mm -hmm. from that. Can you tell our listeners a bit about that? Yes, he has an interesting career path where he was at Harvard and then he went to work for the Boston Consulting Group and it was a very sought after job. People were jealous of him, but he wasn't happy and his secret dream was to start his own brewery. And when he would ask a lot of people about it, they would say, um, that's a risky thing. You've got such a great job and, you know, you shouldn't do it. And then he decided to take some time off and um, he had actually taken time off before this. And he had done um, a mountaineering course and he became a mountaineering instructor. And during that time, he realized that a lot of times the thing you perceive as a risk isn't really risky and something you perceive as safe isn't really so safe. He gives an example of that, that people were afraid to repel off cliffs where they tie you up to a rope and they repel, you repel off a cliff. And uh, people were so scared of doing that, but really you're so secure that those harnesses could hold a car. You're not going to, it's the, the ropes aren't going to break. It's a pretty safe thing to do. Whereas walking on a beautiful glacier on a sunny day, that can be really dangerous because you don't know what's happened in the layers of snow underneath and you're at pretty good risk of um, possibly being in an avalanche and dying. So so then he, he compared that to his job situation and he realized, you know what, I'm unhappy. If I never go off and try and pursue my dream of starting a brewery, the only thing that's certain is that I will remain unhappy. I'll have a good enough income, but I'll be unhappy. And if I go and I try, I have the chance of really making something and loving my life. Um, And the worst thing that happens is that I go and rejoin. It doesn't work. And I rejoin the workforce. and maybe I'm not happy again, but at least I'll try. So he, he, that was one of the lessons. And the other lesson is that you don't climb a mountain to get midway. You climb to get to the top. So when he was starting his business, that was his goal. He just kept thinking, I've got my eyes on the top. And that helps you go a lot further than if you have your eyes in the middle. Yeah, I really like that quote and it's really about going your own way and finding your style and that also applies for us as investors, finding your own mm-hmm. uh, style. And I was wondering if you have read the book named The Third Door by Alex Banayan from 2018. I actually have not. No, I think it's... But uh, I will now if yeah. you think I should. <laughs> uh, he might have become inspired by your work because uh, he's also trying to decode success factors and ah. he's doing one-on-one interviews with uh, Bill Gates and Steven Spielberg and uh, many other famous ones and his conclusion is that life business success it's all like a nightclub and there's three ways in and the first door that's the main entrance where 99% of people wait in line and they are hoping to get in and then there's the second door the VIP entrance where all the billionaires and celebrities slip through but what no one tells you is that there's always always this third door the entrance where you have to jump out of line, run down the alley, bang on the door a hundred times, climb over the dumpster, crack open the window, sneak through the kitchen. There's like always a way in. And this is pretty much how you created this book, I guess. What do you think about this? Absolutely. I actually even use a similar metaphor when people ask me because I, although I had done one book before this, I did not have a big name. So it was not like easy for me to get in front of all of these successful people. And not only was I asking them to interview them, but I was also saying, I'm going to photograph you. So I had to physically be with them. It wasn't a phone call. And so I had to hustle and hustle and hustle. And 
every single person on the list of people I, I got rejected me at first. Some of them rejected me multiple times. Um, and, and, and I've written articles. If you search my name, I write articles about how, how I did it. But the metaphor I use is that if you can't get in the front door, try this, try the back door. If you can't get in the back door, try the side door. If you can't get in the side door, try climbing in a window. And if that doesn't work, just take a little break and then try all the doors again. <laughs> so eventually it might work. So I think Frank Gary might have um, rejected me nine times. Like I literally, I wrote a bunch of letters, then my friends, father's girlfriend said she knew him and she tried a few times. And anyway, finally, finally, I got, I got, um, you know, a, a date to photograph him in an interview. Then he canceled three different times. And, and I was planning on flying all the way to Los Angeles from New York across country to do this and kept canceling him. Anyway, I finally got him in the book. How did you handle all those uh, rejections? You know, some of them were, some of them get you down. Um, and that's, that's human. So you, even though you've got to get back up, and try again. Don't feel bad about yourself if you feel bad for a little bit. The question is how long and are you going to let it make you quit? Um, so it did, they did, it, it's not like I um, am an alien from another planet and I'm not hurt by rejections at all. Of course, I was let down, you know, but then I just thought, all right, I guess you might say I had a mental disorder where I was like, I'm just going <laughs> to pretend that didn't happen. Get back at it. Did some of the people in the in your book, the mentors help you in that, like, keep encouraging you? Absolutely. Especially Warren Buffett. And not that he said anything. But once I had him in the book, and he gave me his time, and I had such a great interview, I there's no way I was ever going to say if he followed up, oh, the book's not happening, or I gave up, or, you know, so all of the people did, um, you know, all of the people did, because they all told me stories about being rejected and trying again, or trying something different. And um, anyway, so I recently read a, a book from Robert Miles, who uh, interviewed uh, many of the Berkshire subsidiaries. And I just felt that what you said now, it's just so similar in how how the managers of those firms think about, I mean, they, they have to please Warren. They have to do yes. the best that they, I mean, and, and that's their main motivation, it, it seems like, in many ways. Yes, yes. He, he is such an amazing role model. The last thing you want to do is disappoint him. And one quote that I liked from, from your book, speaking about this perseverance, it was from uh, Helen Gale. She said, when I encounter tough times, personally or professionally, I get through them by remembering my core beliefs. So that's also something you can go back to in those, mm -hmm. when you face that rejection, I guess. Yes, it's good if you, if you have something where you can recognize what's going on and have something you can say to yourself, you know, prepare yourself. Yeah, to me, that's, as an investor, that's like going back to your strategy. How, how am I operating? What am I doing? And just remembering that. That is kind of the core belief as an investor, I would say. Yes. And you can't help but feel bad if you make a decision and you're in a bad decision, you know, a, a mistake. You lose money. You should have sold. You were thinking of selling, but you didn't at the right time. Whatever it is, um, you're only human. But I think it's a matter of degree. And uh, I mean, one way uh, we have become better thinkers in a way is is through uh, Charlie Munger's advice on uh, uh, reverse engineering everything and, and thinking about what what could have gone uh, gone wrong. Uh, and of course, uh, the uh, people you interview are are highly successful. But uh, what do you think are the most um, common factors in success stories that have turned into failures? I think it's like the. The Roman Empire. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think. 
that if you get too comfortable, you know, somebody's going to be gaining on you. Um, and I think that you always have to have the mindset where you want to win and you feel like you need to try hard to do so. Cause we live in such a competitive world that if you're not behaving that way, there'll be a lot of other people who will gain on you. I think Warren says it really good with, uh, I mean, he tap dances to work every day and, and that, yes. that means he's, he's really passionate and he continues to be passionate. And if he would lose that, then probably he would, he would not be the investor he is. Absolutely. I'm thinking also living way above your means and overspending. We had this Pink Palace story. I don't remember his name, but... Higgly Wiggly. Higgly Wiggly stores, right, in the 1920s, the first grocery stores. We talked about that in episode 14 with Patrick mm-hmm. Wallian. I think, I think that's something um, that Warren talks about that he learned from his father, which is to care more about your inner scorecard than your outer scorecard. Uh, and to so that's basically... If you're so concerned about what other people think of you, then it can lead you to a bad place because you're governing yourself for the eyes of others. And I think that can lead to overspending and pride uh, getting in your way. But this would be an even harder question, I think. But in, if we look back uh, at the book in 30 years, do you think any of these 30 people will, will be seen as failures? I sure hope not. Um, I think I, I hopefully did a good job selecting the good ones and I have faith in them and that they'll follow their own advice. And so let's see, let's meet again in 30 years. (laughs) 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 But I'm sure that, I mean, we all, all, we all know that they have failed and then they come back up again and then they fail again, maybe. And then they come back up again. So maybe in 30 years they will be at a failure state, but then they Well, I'm going to say one thing. For sure, they will have small failures. Who doesn't? But I think we're talking about a total failure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) A complete failure. (laughs) But I am certain, as I'm sure all of them are, that they will make some bad decisions. Who doesn't? All of us do, yeah. Yeah. But to me, it's very encouraging to read like how human these famous people are and that they have be- been able to overcome these kind of issues. And several several of them are mentioning, for example, like Hans Zimmer and David Boyce and Ian Schrager. They all say that many of them are perfectionists or they have another issue, but that also this liability can be their greatest asset. Mm-hmm. It's true. Can you exemplify maybe one of those stories? Sometimes... Sometimes being a perfectionist can make you difficult to be around in your personal life. Uh, You're you're a very picky person um, and you strive for perfection, but that's what makes your product so good. And I think Hans Zimmer says that he gets so into his work and so lost in his work that you could invite him somewhere to a dinner party or something and he'll think okay I've got to leave in 10 minutes then he starts getting on a good roll with some music and then it's three hours later and he said don't even ask about what it's done to my marriage (laughs) (laughs) he says sometimes he just sleeps at the office and won't even go home because (laughs) yeah that's that's interesting to see what what they have sacrificed what do you think about that I mean all these people they have actually made some sacrifices and personal sacrifices in many cases to become what yeah. they are. I think um, one good quote that Kathy Ireland says, and that um, it, it's a quote that um, is very applicable to women and all the things women often have to juggle, but is that you can have it all, but not at once. So in general, in order to um, you know, Excel, you can't do it all at once and you can't expect it. So you're going to have to sacrifice some things somewhere. And I think what, what they say, the remedy to that is to see your life in stages. So I think that there are some 
people who might go through a stage where they're working so hard that they were unable to have a relationship. Uh, but then later on they were. So that that's the answer to that. And the, I didn't I didn't actually know all these uh, all these people you interviewed before but one name that really got me thinking was David Boyce because I read the Bad Blood book about mm-hmm. uh, Theranos and I think David Boyce is is characterized as quite quite of a I mean a tough tough lawyer so how how do you what's your view on on David Boyce uh, I really liked him when I when I met him um and he He is super smart. He had an interesting story in that he was really late to read. uh, And it's because he's dyslexic, but no one was diagnosing things back then. And so he didn't really understand what it was. But um, so he had to take that handicap and compensate for it in other ways. So he became very good at memorizing things he had he did debate and he would just memorize his points because he couldn't read and he got good at sort of speaking extemporaneously and that's sort of what made him such an amazing trial lawyer play to his strengths yes i think that's a great advice and i i really like that uh chapter i was a bit like okay now now it's david boyce i was a bit like okay This I, I don't I'm not gonna like this, but I, it was actually one of my favorite chapters. He also talked a lot about his gambling and the the lessons he learned yeah. and patience from and, poker, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Card playing. Yeah. yeah. So, is there any advice from the book that you don't agree with? Mm, if if there was, I would have edited it out. <laughs> <laughs> I I started with, but really, I don't think. I think I more edited out stuff that I that would make um you know just make it unnecessarily long so i would start with about a 20 page transcript and edit it down to five or six pages per person so it's all pretty concise um one of my favorite pieces of advice came from warren buffett as well which is uh you can always tell someone to go to hell tomorrow and that is a quote that One of his heroes told him, a guy named Tom Murphy, and um, basically it's a a lesson in controlling your temper because especially in this day and age, once you lose your temper and you send an email or make some kind of a post or a text or whatever, it's out there and you can't take it back. So what he says is sit on it for a day. If you still feel that way, instead of spouting off in a moment of anger, just sit on it. And if you still feel the same way tomorrow, you could always tell that person to go to hell or that company or whatever it, whatever it is, but it saves you making a mistake you, you later regret. I think Tom Murphy may have got that piece of advice from Abraham Lincoln. I, I, there's this famous story about uh, about him writing this letter to one of his generals, George Meade, after he failed him during the U.S. Civil War. And after thinking about it, he never sent the letter. And I think that's a great advice to wait and really think about what the consequences will be on delivering such bad news. Mm-hmm. That's very... It's- It's great to imagine him back then writing writing all the letters and then just sitting on them. I like that. Yeah, the only piece of uh, advice that I was like, questioning a little bit or at least thinking was uh, Leslie Moonves from uh, CBS. He, he said that you should let people see that you are willing to do anything and that you have a good attitude and that the kind of people who get ahead, they are the kind who don't necessarily ask questions, but instead find solutions. And I mean, I think that's good because then if you show that attitude, you are willing to work, you're willing to do whatever, but it's also dangerous if you work for the wrong uh, person without integrity and so on, because then you can end up somewhere uh, and you have to face the consequences of that. And that could actually be uh, severe. I guess, yes, you're right. You don't don't want to 
sacrifice your morals or do anything that you feel will make you look bad. But I think that what he's talking about and what and and a few of the people in the book talk about it is don't think you're above any anything. Um, so uh, you know, don't th there can be things if you're a team player, you might have to help out by like getting coffee for some people sometimes or whatever. And I think that's something that the boss would do as well if you're a good boss or let me, you know, clean this up for a second. It's, if it's your business, it's your house, you should take care of it and not think you're above doing anything. Roll up your sleeves. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it ties uh, together with one of the quotes uh, also from your book uh, on the Buffett section where he says, try to work for whomever you admire most. So if you if mm -hmm. you select that carefully, then it won't be a problem. It will only benefit you. Yes, definitely. So moving over and talk a little bit more about mentors, because the subtitle of Getting There is a book of mentors. And for me, the deeper meaning of, of the book is really like figuring out how we want to live, which people can inspire us and, and help us on the way. Um, but do you think there is any difference between mentors, role models, heroes? I think that those are words, different words for the same thing. So... I think if someone talks about their heroes, I th I guess you can have someone who is your hero who you've never met, and hopefully you will have met your mentor. But my book is a book, it's called a book of mentors because they're virtual mentors. They could be sort of mentors that you read their words instead of actually meet them face to face. So anyway, I think it's all it's all kind of the same thing and it goes back to that you can pick things up from people and learn from people and even if you have people in your orbit like Warren is saying the people you hang out with matter, the people you choose to learn from matter as well. We pick things up from each other. And Charlie Munger has this idea of becoming friends with the eminent dead. And I think, I mean, he quote a lot from Benjamin Franklin and uh, and from Cicero and, and so on. And I, I actually think that he, he, for him, they have been friends. They have yeah. been mentors. I mean, you don't need a physical mentor. I mean, maybe you need a physical mentor as well, who you can call whenever needed and so on. And I think maybe Warren and Charlie have, have had that between between each other. But I think just to... To have that concept in your head is really is really nice. Yes, and once you have a story like that Abraham Lincoln story, that will help you control your temper, even though you've never met him and he was dead for a long time before you were born. Absolutely. So what do you say about uh, mentors? They, In one way, it's easier to be a mentor and a role model and say the right things because like Buffett, he's saying that we have only one car if we could only have one car for life we would take care of that car so well and it's the same with our one body and mind so we should really take care of that one but i don't know you met him so you maybe you know how that he's exercising a lot in the office or something but to us at least we don't know any exercising habits and he's not eating super well either so is he really living like uh, he says or whatever he's doing has worked well <laughs> meaning isn't he amazing he and charlie sitting there at the meeting for five hours answering questions uh, it's insane so whatever he's doing he doesn't drink alcohol oh that's true that's <laughs> no tobacco that's that's one thing but there is something to say for the effect of leading a happy life and there can be small vices that bring you joy. So I don't think that either Charlie or Warren eat the amount of peanut brittle that you see them eat <laughs> during the Berkshire Hathaway <laughs> annual shareholders meeting. They don't do that every day. But everyone enjoys happiness and there's a, a balance 
you know, like, uh, so anyway, so I think that's where Coca-Cola comes in. <laughs> yeah, I think I, he has got that question a few times during the meetings, and I think the answer has been uh, in a similar vein. Everything in moderation, maybe. Exactly. And also, alcohol. I mean, yeah. about the happiness piece, that yes. if something makes you happy, it's often good. And I, I it's really... It's healthy to be happy. Exactly. Uh, and... Uh, Many of the persons in the book are encouraging other successful people to be generous with advice, such as, I mean, Warren is really one of them. And uh, Cathy Ireland even goes as far as saying it's selfish not to share your experience and knowledge. And what would you say to, to our listeners who are considering becoming a mentor, maybe for, for someone? I would say absolutely. Um, and I think that is a good way to to just conduct yourself in the world. I think if you're the kind of person who does a lot of favors for others, then people will be more apt to do you favors. You also won't mind asking somebody for a favor because you know that you're a giving person and people will view you that way and they won't mind doing something for you. So I think, uh, you know, Everybody should be giving and different people have different things to offer. Yeah, because I was thinking what Buffett has said and what we talked about earlier as well, that you're the average of the five people around you and you should surround yourself with the best people. But if you're always the least good, then I mean, then no one wants to become a mentor because then that means you're you're the best in a group. But I think it's a good uh, good way as you say it you, you can be the best in one group and then maybe you have another group where you are uh, the least good so you can learn a lot from each other in different yes, uh, yes. aspects and you you have things you can teach and things you need to learn yeah and for listeners who are younger or looking for a mentor in some ways what what we touched upon it but which qualities would you look for i would say you have to find somebody who you who you admire um don't pick someone as a mentor just because they're successful. Try to find an all-around good person. And I think those are the best people to learn from, and they're probably going to be more generous with the advice they give out. Yeah. And uh, I don't know that many people who actually have a mentor that is really like clear that they have a mentor. But one of my friends, she's very ambitious, and she has decided on, on seven different areas in her life that she thinks matter most for her and she wants to develop. And then she has selected one mentor for each of them. I think that's a pretty unique approach. Do you know some similar stories or what do you think about that approach? Uh, well, I love that approach. And, um, and I think that sort of touches on what I was saying is from that not everyone is good at everything, but you know what you excel at And those are the kind of things you can teach. And then find someone who excels at what you want to learn and learn from them in that department. So I, I love what your friend has done. And I sort of, I tell my daughter, that's also how I think about friendships. I have a bunch of friends, but different people provide different things. So I might, if I have a relationship question, I might talk to this person. If I have a business question, I might talk to that person. If I want to talk about child rearing, I might talk to somebody else. It's just, you need to know people's strengths and go to the right person with the right questions. Yeah, In one of our episodes, we had a more of a <clears throat> spiritual book. We talked about uh, an Indian book with uh, Sri Vishnavatan. And in that one, we, we touched upon this, like how much should you go your own way and do your own self-discovery versus finding this inspiration and advice and this mentor. So do you, do you think that there are any risks of having uh, mentors? Risks of having mentors? I think if you remember to always think for yourself ultimately, then, you know, then you're going to not have as many risks. But of course, if you blindly follow someone, and you pick the wrong person to blindly follow, then there are risks. I think maybe for me it helps to think about if it's like 
for general advice or specific advice, I think uh, for investors, for example, to to just look at what uh, good, other good investors are investing in may not may not take you the whole way. I mean, it's better to I mean listen to, for example, Buffett his advice on on investing in general, and I think I think that's a reason why he don't give any sort of investment advice at all. Yes, and I think if if you are going to take a stock tip from somebody someone says something good about a company, you buy it, then you need to take ownership of it. Don't look to them always when to sell. Read the annual reports, stay up on the news. It's your own responsibility. And uh, and I think that's what investors need to remember. Don't, don't be looking, do the work yourself. Don't be looking to other people or put your money in someone else's fund if you want them to do the work for you, then you might pay them a fee for it or, or they'll benefit from it. But if you don't want to do the work, then have somebody else do, do the investing for you. Yeah, and it's always good to have different perspectives. And from knowing Buffett, I guess you have gotten to know quite many other great investors. Yes. And I married one. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Yes. I've listened, I listened to the episode with Brian Lawrence, your, your husband, and it was really... Really good. I think uh, I, I learned a lot. Oh, good. Uh, he he is he has a lot of wisdom to offer. So definitely, I married a good mentor. Definitely. <laughs> you have spoken to, I mean, Warren Buffett, uh, but but also Michael Bloomberg and and many other persons that we have discussed here, and and also a few others in the book, of course. I mean, you you interviewed thirty people, and, and we won't have time to go through it all. So, I mean, to our listeners, you you need to go and and buy the book and and read it uh, for yourself. And I think, I mean, uh, to 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 read biographies is really important, and uh, it's it's both to learn from from the good sides and also the bad sides. So I think that's you get like a condensed version of this in in the book and. Uh, yeah, from interviewing all these people, how much have, have you learned about yourself? I think so much. There, I, I kind of don't shut up about the book because every time I encounter a situation, I think, oh, this is like Tom Zimmer or any, always, always, I'm annoying. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the great things about getting to actually meet these people in person is that you just realize that everyone is a human and they it's I think if sometimes it's easier to just focus on everybody else's successes and underplay their failures and underplay but when you fail you, you blow that up in your mind. That's it's the, this huge thing. But really, everyone's human. We all go through the same things. We feel bad. Um, and I think that's that's inspiring to to really remember when you're going through your tough times. And the other thing about people just being human is that it can give you the feeling of, all right, why not me? Let me let me go for it as well. And and on the subject, I mean that um, that I discussed before. I always like to invert things. So maybe you can can tell us maybe not from from the book, but generally, what's the worst advice you have ever got from like an expert or or a mentor or 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 so on? I think I think you've got to watch out for jealousy from other people, and sometimes people will discourage you from doing something because it's threatening in some way. Um, I think you've got to watch out for people discouraging you because of fear of failure. Um, so I think those are some of the harmful things that can happen out there. Discouraging. People discouraging you. So for those interested in reading more about mentors, role models, uh, inspiration for how to live, do you have some uh, book recommendations in that area? I do. Um, first is The Education of a Value Investor by Guy Spear. I don't know if you had Guy on. Not yet. 
It's a fantastic no, book. Yeah, he's, we met him in he, Omaha. Great, and I met him in Omaha too, and he actually introduced me to my husband, and then he married us. He officiated at our wedding. Wow! So wow! <laughs> it's a real. It was a real Omaha wedding, and um, and another another book. So his book is great. Another book uh, is Richer, Wiser, Happier by William Green, and I know you did have William on your podcast. Yes. And then one last, well, two books by, and I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, Caldini, Robert Caldini. He wrote Influence and Persuasion, among other books. And he usually sells next to me at the bookworm, but he wasn't there this year because he had another engagement. Um, but anyway, those, his books are amazing. Huge disappointment for me. I mean, he's one of my really, <laughs> really favorite authors. And I, actually, I, I need to tell this story because I, I, I thought I saw him. We were at the Markel event, and uh, yeah, I was really excited to to uh, approach uh, what I thought was Cialdini. And then he was he was like, "No, it's 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 not me." And I was like. <laughs> What? <laughs> but he was a really nice guy. So it was a nice conversation anyway, but I was quite disappointed. <laughs> I wonder if he gets it all the time. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, he didn't know who it was. So it was yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it was him just oh. covering up and didn't want to right. reveal his right. identity. It's a good tactic. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Gillian, for taking the time to come on the podcast and share your thoughts on how we can all find our path as investors and uh, and in life. Do you have something more you want to add before you finish up here? I think that's pretty much it. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Gillian. And where can our audience follow you? They, You can follow me on LinkedIn. That's the best place. All right. And we're excited to hear more about what's coming out next from you. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Investing by the Books, a podcast by Red Eye. Follow us on Twitter at IB underscore Redeye and email us at ib.podcast at redeye.se. To improve, we'd love to hear your feedback, so please rate and review us. Notice that the content in this podcast is not and shall not be construed as investment advice. This information is meant to be informative and for general purposes only. For full disclaimer, visit redeye.se. I'm your host, Eddie Palmian, and until next time, I sincerely wish you the best of luck on your journey through life and investing.